Hello. Thanks for joining us here at Animal Cafe, the place to meet with friends, bring your dogs, and have a great conversation with our guests. On Monday at animalcafe.co, you'll find a new interview with someone working to better the lives of animals. Then on Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, we meet in the chat room to go beyond the interview and get answers to your questions. I'm your host, Mary Haight. With me are fellow hosts Eric Goebelbecker, Dr. Lori Houston, and Edie Girolam, bloggers all. Check our website, animalcafe.co, for guest and host profiles. We hope to see you here every Wednesday. So sit back, get comfortable, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the cafe. This is Eric and this week I am here with Jen Shryock, the founder of Dogs and Storks, a program that helps parents keep their babies and dogs safe together. Jen is launching a new program this month, the Dog and Baby Connection, and is here to tell us about it. And there we go. So why don't you start out by uh, introducing yourself, Jen. Hi, Eric. Um, I'm Jen Shryock. I'm a certified dog behavior consultant. I'm also the mother of four great kids, ages 15, I can't even believe that, 13, 10, and 21 months, and we have three dogs in our household. They are rescues and then four cats. Um, the dogs that we have, we have a um, German Shepherd, we have a Pit Bull, and a Siberian Husky, so we've got quite a mix at our house. And um, I started Dogs and Storks in about 2002. After becoming involved with German Shepherd Rescue, I personally am a German Shepherd snob. <laughs> I love shepherds, and um, when I became involved with German Shepherd Rescue, I saw so many dogs surrender due to, you know, fear and issues relating to small children, and I just was looking for information and wasn't finding as much as I would like and thought we could get more resources out there, so I started Dogs and Storks, and I've been extremely fortunate to combine my love of working with kids and dogs. Um, you know, I have a degree in special education, elementary education, and worked many years in that field. And uh, so it's, it's really the best of both worlds, to be honest. I feel very lucky. <laughs> and uh, you have a new program coming up um, for this year? We do. We are very excited. I, I'm just thrilled to be launching the Dog and Baby Connection. Dogs and Storks is really to help prepare new and expecting families for the arrival of baby um, to help their dogs, really. And, um, you know, we're, we're actually the focus really is preparing families with dogs for life with baby. That would be Dogs and Storks. And it's great that that has created such a buzz and there's so many new dog and baby programs, you know, preparation. But what we're missing is the follow-up. We're missing that link. And I've thought about this and I've wanted to do this program for so many years. And I'm so excited to finally have it completed, have a team of presenters out there already launching, you know, getting this program out there. And it's really for families after the baby arrives, um, we're encouraging people from with children three months to three years to attend this class. And I think it's by far even more needed than dogs and storks. Everybody thinks it's going to be really hard to bring the baby home and everything else. It's, that's not the hard part. <laughs> the hard part is once that little one gets moving. The hard part is the time I'm going through now with my daughter. And um, that's the parents that we really need to reach because that's where the, you know, we really run into more incidents with growling and biting and that toddler is moving up to the dog and expectations of parents. Um, oh, there's so many issues surrounding that time. So that's really what the dog and baby connection is about. 
So you said it's a it's a class. How how are you? Uh, how's the class structured? Um, what we do, especially for dog behavior consultants and trainers, we do have um, what we call licensed presenters for the program, and they have a, an actual presentation that they can use and market in their local communities. And many of our trainers and presenters also have their own dog training business, so they you know, can use the information to kind of complement their already successful and established businesses when they go in in-home consultations. The education that we offer for trainers is um, honestly unlike anything else that I've ever seen in the dog training community where we are, you know, asking people to look up child development stages, um, different stages of pregnancy. We're really trying to educate people about this stage in, in the the lives of these families that they're going to be supporting, um, you know, because if you can't connect, you really you're missing a piece there. There's so many dis different issues um, that families with small children encounter, and I think it's really important to get that background. So, present, you know, there is a presentation, but many of our presenters do private in homes and use our material to complement what they're already doing, especially for the dog and baby connection. That's going to be a critical part because getting in the home and observing a lot of what we talk about, such as subtle body language, um, the environment, how we can manage it better, setting up different management you know, techniques, whether it's crates, gates, what we're going to be doing, um, you know, really getting in the home and seeing that layout and environment is pretty powerful, pretty, ne pretty necessary. But we also... With the presentation, we also give a lot of nuggets of information, such as five types of supervision. Five types of supervision and show a lot of visuals of dog body language that most people really aren't thinking about. I find many families are not familiar at all with um, their dog's subtle signals um, that are associated with avoidance behaviors. And that, when you have toddlers, there's a lot of dogs avoiding a lot of, a lot of interaction there. Um, and so we really try to bring all that information out and present it to the families that we work with. So, so to break it down, yeah, you mentioned uh, baby gates and all that. So a big part of this is preparing the environment, obviously. Yeah, changing the environment because when, you know, if they've gone through the Dogs and Storks program, hopefully people have been introduced to different management techniques. We might use some tethering. We might use some techniques that once the baby's mobile are no longer going to be, you know, used. We're going to have to reassess the situation. I think that's a big part of what we do too is help people through the different stages and make the adjustments to the management. So yeah, looking at where the dog should be, um, you know, kid-free, dog-free zones, that kind of thing, and also brainstorming how that might change as baby grows. You know, and really to see the environment is going to make make that possible. Yeah. And I, I'd say to quickly breaking it down in my head. So we're 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 preparing the environment. And of course, the deal part of it is adding things like like <clears throat> gates, tethers, and things like that, and and setting up. I like that kid-free zones and dog-free zones because <laughs> um, sometimes trainers need help realizing dog-free is as important as kid-free. Um, but then also I could see you need to prepare both the Pete, the, the adults and other older children and the dog. So what does, what does the program do um, to help prepare the dog, for example? 
Well, prior to the arrival of baby, some of the things that we would do is really focus in on, um, you know, part of the preparation is helping the parents to recognize and understand how their dog takes in the environment, okay? So let me explain that because that's a big part of preparation, in my opinion, is understanding your dog and how they learn and how they take in information about everything going on in the environment. Um, And so we kind of try to you know, look at is your dog reactive to motion or sounds? Is your dog overstimulated by, say, you know, you come back from the grocery store and a shopping bag falls on the floor and that shopping bag freaks them out? You know, there's lots of different things that dogs do. And when we look at that, we break it down into different um, kind of sensory activities. So, for example, if there's a dog that startles easily, that dog may be a little more reactive or have a little more stress when it comes to baby crying or when it comes to placement of new noisy baby equipment. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with some of the baby equipment that's out there, but everything has a lot of sight, a lot of sound. It's 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 a lot of activity. Yeah, so for so example, my sister for that fire truck she gave my son. Right. And there's like extra saucers that are meant most people put them right in the doorway. A lot of people put them on hardwood floors and for a dog that has sound sensitivities, that's not what you want to do. So we want to look at all those things because I think a big part of preparation is really helping families to get to know their dog. If your dog is one that loves to chase bikes or is ball-driven or is, you know, all these different things, then we're going to look at that when it comes to what are the items that we're going to bring in the house that might trigger this dog. Uh, Mm -hmm. Is the swing going to be something that's going to make them crazy? And now they have swings that are pretty low to the ground. So you've got a swing with a mobile going around and around, and your little Jack Russell might have the time of their life, you know? (laughs) So you really have to think about these things. Um, you know, when it, when it looks at that. So we do try to look at the sensitivities of the dog and, the, you know, and that kind of thing and then work on whether it's using a sound CD. Terry Ryan has um, the Sounds Good CD with baby noises. We use that a lot um, to help. Sometimes it helps the dog, but more importantly, it helps us to work with the families to know how to respond when their dog reacts to the baby. And I say when because... Most dogs do respond to the newborn baby cry. And so if we can work with the family so that they know, all right, when the dog does this, I'm going to suggest that, you know, here's what I'm going to have the dog do. So my shepherd, who was very reactive to my newborn, he didn't care about the CDs, which is pretty typical, but he, he really cared when it was the little baby. And so we went right back to everything we did, and we said, all right, Duke, Go to your spot. Go lay down. Go get your ball. So he had, you know, we practiced that a lot. The more people practice those things ahead of time, the more it becomes natural for them. So when they're sleep-deprived and they're stressed, they can kind of go to their default of directing their dog in a positive way versus reacting in a negative way or a fearful way. Yeah. I see. Okay. So that's a lot of preparation. That's just some of what we do. So the new component now is the kind of almost called life cycle aspect where as the baby grows, mm-hmm. you, you know, help people figure out how they need to change both their training and their management plans. Right. As the baby grows, we do need to look at management. So in the, in the beginning, we might have used tethering as a positive way to include the dog in the room 
while um, baby's feeding or mom's doing tummy time with the baby on the floor. The dog can be on, you know, in their spot, secured. Mom can be tossing treats back to the dog for good, calm behavior, things like that. But as soon as the baby's mobile, we can't use that tethering anymore. That becomes a dangerous situation. Um, so we need to look at other alternatives based on what the dog is comfortable with. And um, it's real important to me that we include dogs, but it's also real important to me that we follow what's going to work for that individual dog. So sometimes gating in the kitchen, while the dog can view everything going on in the living room, sometimes that may work. Sometimes that may not work. Sometimes the dog might be in there pretty stressed or showing um, signs of stress. So I encourage people to to set up different situations um, and videotape what the dog is actually doing on the other side while mom and dad are engaging and playing with the baby. Um, You know, again, taking into consideration that dog. So where that would apply would be, for example, Eric with, you know, again, there's a lot of noisy things, there's a lot of motion and stuff. If the kid's in a jolly jumper in the living room jumping up and down, you know, one of those things that hangs kind of from the door frame, if they're jumping up and down and the dog is gated off somewhere, I want to be sure that that visual and that stimulation isn't stressing out that dog more or creating an anxiety or anything, you know. I want to be sure the dog is really chilling out and okay with that. Um, And then if they're not, let's provide them with another place to go where they're not constantly seeing that. Um, And, you know, with our three dogs, we, you know, I have all sorts of different situations that we've encountered. Um, They're all rescues and they've all come from very different backgrounds. And um, my pit bull, and this is another thing we address, just because your dogs accept, you know, one child, a lot of parents assume their dog is just good with kids. Right. But as soon as you add a new baby to that scene, so say you have a toddler and a newborn, Mom's going to be more distracted, and it's double the stimulation. And many dogs, you know, and the dog's older. So there's a change in dynamics that is ongoing with any family you're working with with kids and dogs. It's just a constant changing dynamic between the dog changing in their age and their abilities and their sensitivities and then the child. So, yeah, the dog dog and baby connection is a kind of a progressive program as as we move along the development. Right. Development stages of both the dogs and the mm-hmm. children. I haven't even thought of that. Yeah, kid, dogs get older too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, they do, and I went through that. You know, my Malamute Shepherd, who sadly isn't with us anymore, but she was really wonderful with my daughter, who's now 10, but, you know, she really wasn't going to be thrilled about a toddler and their energy when she was 13. Right. You know? So, but I do find a lot of people assume that if the dog's been through it before, they're going to be they're going to be great. They're going to be fine, and we really can't make that assumption. We have to respect them where they are. Right. Yeah. So, how do you think somebody might um, apply this program where maybe they already have a young child and they're bringing in a new dog? Well, there's a lot of different ways. I think if they have a young child and they're considering bringing in a new dog, they hopefully this program would help them to be informed and educated about what they're getting into, first of all, um, what type of dog they should choose. Um, I see many families who, when they're pregnant, I don't know why, but they choose to get a puppy. And I think they 
think they're going to grow up together and everything. I am not a fan of toddlers and puppies. I do find most families feel completely overwhelmed and it backfires. So hopefully if they've attended a program like this at their hospital, they will look, or at the shelter, they'll look at all the big picture of things and say, you know what, maybe a three- to five-year-old dog who we really can kind of gauge their personality, maybe that's the way to go. So hopefully it will help them in making their decisions. Um, I also think it will help them as far as their expectations of the interaction between their child and dog. Um, I know myself, when we adopted our first shepherd, my kids were three and two. I had grown up showing and training dogs. Our family showed dogs, and I showed in confirmation and obedience as a teenager and into my 20s. And I really thought I knew a lot about dogs, but once you have a child, um, <laughs> i got to tell you, it's completely different. It's, it's, there's a lot of different dynamics. And so what I thought I'd be doing and what I thought how things should go, I've learned quite a bit about the difference. <laughs> No, I, I definitely agree on that. And I always try to convince people to go find an adult dog if they have children, like under nine or ten. Actually, I'll even go that far. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I have to say, we we actually we got our adult dog when, when my son was three. I think it was the first dog we had in the household together. And then we didn't get a puppy until my son was almost twelve or thirteen. It's and a lot. I can't imagine how anybody could do a puppy and a baby at the same time because I think the puppies are a lot harder. <laughs> I got to tell you, I, one of my clients currently has a, uh, they called me, their puppy was growling at the baby. They have three kids under 10 and a newborn and a, um, a schnoodle who was seven months old and had no baseline of skills. And, um, you know, this family is incredibly committed and, and they're doing beautifully, to be honest. But um, it's a lot of work and it's overwhelming. And I think... I think what people don't account for is how much, how much the transition in your life, having, having children, how big of a transition that is, and that often you can have points of just feeling overwhelmed in general, and right. then you add the dog to it, and you really feel incapable sometime. and sometimes. And that's one of the things that we're addressing in the dog and baby connection is the impulsive rehoming phase, which is a term I've coined um, associated with our new program. And that is for the period about three to six months postpartum that I see a pattern with where mom is adjusting to life at home with baby, feeling overwhelmed. I think even even many of my presenters have gone through this stage, which is why I've kind of chosen to, to name it, because there's a point that you feel so overwhelmed, whether it's due to a little depression or it's due to just the change in your life, that you feel like you are not capable doing anything, let alone take care of the dog. You feel like, you know, for me, it was my goal was unloading the dishwasher. I went from working and teaching and doing all these things to, all right, today I might get dressed and unload my dishwasher, and I'm not at all exaggerating. Um, and so it's natural for people to go through this and then feel like, I can't do this or that. I don't have time for my dog. They'd be better off somewhere else. I just can't do it. And I think that's what we see at the shelters a lot. I think we have to name it now, uh, and we have a handout that goes over tips and things. Okay, you're in this stage. Let's help you through it. And here are some suggestions, and here are places and ways you can be successful. Because what I see is if people make that 
impulsive choice to rehome their dog, they so regret it. And they have the association with the baby and the arriving and giving up the dog. And it's most times we can work it through. It's just providing them with subtle, you know, just simple, simple activities that they can be successful with their dog with and changing their expectations just a little bit so that they, they can do it. Um, you know, that's a, that's a big part of the dog and baby connection. It's really supporting families through that. And, um, you know, so that's something that we're excited about, too. See your point, too, because I've definitely seen a lot of times where the training, basic obedience training, it serves as a very strong positive experience for the pet owner. Absolutely. Just something as simple as getting a, a, a five-second sit. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, I can communicate with this animal. You know? Yeah, you've got to just give them, you know, even right. five little simple things. You know, I, right. I often talk about a kibble fetch, okay? So if the baby's napping on your lap, toss a kibble, let the dog run, get it, pick that up, come back, sit, eye contact, beautiful, go, toss another one, go get it. You know, simple stuff that's fun. Um, the other thing I suggest that's real simple and easy is, you know, indulge your dog. And, like, I, this sounds so silly, but people love this. Let You know, go to one of those gourmet dog biscuit places and put those aside for those days that you're feeling like, I can't get to the dog, so that at least you feel like you're giving them a little indulgent treat. I mean, yeah. you know, something like yeah. that that's just kind of simple and fun. But I also think people need to take the pressure off, oh, I need to walk my dog miles and miles, and, you know, and how am I going to do that with a stroller, you know, and a kid that doesn't want to stay in the stroller like mine. I mean, she, you know, she would scream for a half mile. I mean, you know, so to have a Siberian Husky on a leash and to carry a baby and push the stroller home for a half mile is not enjoyable for any of us. <laughs> so, you know, so I like to provide them with things that are going to make them successful. One other thing with that, Eric, too, is a lot of times families will try to help husbands and external, you know, grandparents and stuff will say, well, you know, I know you're overwhelmed. Would it be better? I mean, maybe the dog, maybe it would be better if we gave up the dog so that you have less on your plate. And, um, you know, again, it's people trying to be helpful and not knowing how to help. It's a very challenging time for families. And I know a lot of people reach out and try to help and think that that's a, a helpful suggestion. But again, I see it backfire, and I see people regret that kind of decision. So we're really trying to support families through it so that they don't feel like there's no other option. No, I see, I see that. I'm really, it's really, really like to hear that because you, you, you see those stories periodically where the people, baby arrives, they give up the dog, and, and you can tell it's not an easy decision for them. It's awful. It's, yeah. it's, it's awful. I and, and what's really sad is how condescending the, some of the shelter people can be about it and some of the rescue people are about it. My hope I, is that they can use some of our handouts, that they can use this handout, right. the Impulsing re Rehoming, to kind of help them. I really feel strongly that by creating a national program like with Dogs and Storks and the Dog and Baby Connection, we're creating an organization that people feel that they can go to for a resource. And the more qualified dog trainers that we can have giving the same information to decrease the confusion for families, the better we can be. And the more lives we can save as far as dogs and the more bonds we can create and more responsible pet owners for down the road, the next generation. So that's really a big part of our goal. So how would somebody find a presenter and how would somebody get information about becoming a presenter? For those who might be interested in Dogs and Storks or the Dog and Baby Connection as a presenter, uh, it's, a, it's a great opportunity for dog trainers to 
complement your already established business. And um, to learn more about that, you can email me at info at dogsandstorks.com. And the beauty of this is that on our site, we get an awful lot of traffic, and people will look for presenters in their local area. I'm getting contacted all the time for people looking for this kind of education. And um, we certainly welcome those who are qualified. We do have an application process, and um, we take great pride in our presenters. And, you know, it's also an education for you. There's ongoing support. We've got a really solid team uh, to get this education out there and to give the community a consistent way of addressing kid and dog issues, and babies especially. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to uh, come in and talk to us about your um, excellent program. And we're looking forward to talking to you in the Animal Cafe chat, which is a few weeks from uh, our time, but a few days for people listening to the podcast. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. It was great. And that wraps up my talk with Jen. I hope you will join Jen and I this week on the Animal Cafe at 9 p.m. at animalcafe.co slash chatcafe. You could, of course, get a link from our homepage to there. We'll be chatting at about 9 p.m. I hope to see you there. And, of course, I hope you will join us next week for our next exciting guest. Thank you and enjoy the coffee.